Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. Uh, this episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. If you already use or want to use PowerShell to manage Microsoft Exchange, check out their free Microsoft Exchange PowerShell guide. Five pages full of ready-to-use PowerShell snippets and real-life examples. The link is in the show notes. My name is Tobias. I'm back again with Yussi. What's up? Hey, Toby. So today I've cracked yet another technical problem. Uh, so hear me out. In my home office, I have a pair of Sonos speakers. Those are the, the, the wireless audio thingies. So I have two. I've, I've paired them as a, st- a stereo output. And, and what I use these for is that I can stream music from the Spotify app, and it works great. You, you cannot really use anything else than the Spotify app because the Spotify app has a built-in support for the Sonos wireless speakers. So today I knew I had a home office day. So I put on Spotify to, to get some sort of music in the background. But my wife was driving our car. And obviously I've logged into Spotify in the car as well. So that takes priority and I can fight on the play button if I like. But I often hear about that later. So I chose not to. So I figured what should I do? Should I work without any background music or should I reach for my phone and, and use that as the streamer to the Sonos. But what I found out is that uh, you can actually stream from Firefox. So I open YouTube and I have the paid subscription because the kids watch something on YouTube and that has YouTube music. So I switch to YouTube music, hit play, but then it streams from my uh, Jabra or Plantronics or whatever it's called, the small tiny plastic speaker, not the Sonos. But then somebody had built an application that you can stream anything to anywhere. I installed that and I'm now streaming from Firefox over YouTube wirelessly to my Sonos just to avoid reconfiguring my Spotify subscription. I, I think I've, I've sort of uh, gotten to my daily goal of, of fixing another technical problem today. <laughs> yeah, we, we also had a similar challenge in the past. I solved it by just creating more accounts and not really solving the challenge, just working around it, throwing some more dollars on it. But that worked. So on my end, uh, spring is coming now to Sweden. So now I try to work outdoors at least 30 minutes per day. It's still not very long, but if you've tagged along for a bit with this show, you know that I love the outdoors. I spend a lot of time outdoors. Uh, I do a lot of hiking. But I also work a lot outdoors. So I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of my daily work from my garden or from outside uh, in whatever capacity that I can to get the daylight, to get some sun, to get the vitamin Ds and, and stuff like that. But, you know, just to be able to hear the birds chirp and yeah, stay true to, uh, to my calling with nature, if you will. So uh, I really enjoy that. And what I'm doing now is today I spend about 30 minutes uh, working from the garden, and I realized it's been quite some time since I did uh, one of those hikes that I usually go do uh, a few times a year. So I think it's about time to do that, a two-night hike in the woods. Either I'll go by myself or I'll have one of my uh, my friends join me if, if they're also available. 
And then usually we go out one or two nights and then we cook outdoors, bring food, bring the equipment and do a really long and exhausting hike. I think last time I was out, it was 32 kilometers, which is quite a long hike for a one way. And we only had essentially two breaks. After 10 kilometers, we had some snacks. After another 10, we had our lunch. And then after the, the final 12, reaching the finish line, we were pretty much toast. And then you make a campfire and you start cooking. And usually I bring ingredients so I can make a, a two or three course meal, which is kind of nice to do in nature because you don't really have anything else to do when you're there. So you're, you need to kill perhaps four hours before it's time to go to sleep. And those four hours, you can spend them doing different things, of course. One thing that I really like is, you know, to take my time and do some really good cooking. Sometimes I bake bread, you know, and you're far out in the, in the woods. You've been walking for three hours, four hours, five hours in one direction. You haven't seen civilization for quite some time. When you're in the deepest of the woods, you just bake some bread. You have some really good prepared uh, ingredients from home. You can make some, some really nice food and you know, in the morning, if you bake a fresh bread, you have some butter with you and then perhaps some, uh, some good ham and cheese you put on that, you know, fresh out of the fire in the morning. That's pretty good. But, you know, each to their own. I love nature, as you can hear. Uh, so that's what's going to happen for me. I'm now planning this trip uh, and where to go. So, uh, so I'm excited about that. You know, less digital, a bit more analog, uh, as is custom with my non-working hours. Sounds good. Sounds good. So today, this is episode 127, Joiners, Movers and Leavers in Azure AD. Do you know or can you tell us what is Joiners, Movers and Leavers and why should we care? I guess I could tell you now because you just told me before this uh, <laughs> show started recording. So I, you know what? I'm just going to follow along in this episode, and I'm going to turn this question around because I think you might be able to answer this slightly better than I can. So what is this about? What is joiners, movers, and leavers? So, so if we leave out Azure AD for now for, for, for two minutes, the joiners, movers, and leavers, it's an HR process. And, and I'm happy to say I am not an expert in, in anything in HR. Uh, but traditionally, when, when people join a company, they, they move internally within the company by changing roles, and perhaps they choose to leave a company eventually. Uh, that's the process. And for IT, the joiners, movers, leavers means thinking about uh, user permissions, group memberships, licenses, credentials, federations, provisioning, roles, and if you're listening on this and, and you go, well, hold on, permissions, licenses, and whatnot. So these are identities in essence. So, so for this episode, the, the plan is to walk through how to build and, and what sort of building blocks and things to consider do you have if you are faced with, with somehow resolving the joiners, movers, and leavers in Azure AD. That sort of is the, is the theme here. And, and let's see how this goes, because this is, a, this is a big topic. And ideally, I'd like to keep this a bit more contained, focused on Azure AD more, and perhaps less on an external HR system or SAP or something that has less to do with Azure, because that's the focus 
focus for us. Um, Toby, are, are you exposed on, on your normal day? Are you exposed to granting permissions, uh, allocating licenses, doing um, new credentials or, or, or setting new roles for people? Or is this something that, that you're not that much exposed to? I do that quite a lot uh, in my current role. So it's, you know, we, we do a lot of things, role-based access control. So everything we operate in the cloud that I administer and manage and deploy, I also need to ensure that we get the right individuals, the right accounts, service accounts, the right uh, kind of identities with the right scope of permission to the right resources. So I, I do a lot of that. Um, so I, I understand the challenge here now when you say what joiners, movers, and leavers is all about, which is essentially onboarding, offboarding, and, and technical onboarding, offboarding, and how to handle that. And this is a challenge for sure, even in our small organization that I work with right now. Um, so, I, so I am exposed to that. So I, I think I know where you're going with the question. But, but you know, carry on. Uh, the short answer is yes, I am very much exposed to these things, and I have challenges. I, I think everybody is who are responsible for some aspects of, of Azure setups or even on-premises and hybrid setups. And, and before we sort of start to tear down the joiners, movers, levers, the, the sort of sub-processes in here, perhaps crucial to under, understand that there's a few main themes here. One is the identity management solution, usually called IAM, the identity and access management. And, and this often aims to be this one system to rule them all, if you will, like an HR system, an on-premises active directory, some sort of an identity management solution, and maybe Azure AD as well. And it could be others combined. But the identity management system here, uh, back in the day, it used to be Forefront Identity Manager. And then it became Microsoft Identity Manager. I think the latest version is 2016. And, and what was surprising to see, I was, I was digging down a bit on the offerings from Microsoft for identity management beyond just saying Azure AD. On one of the documentations on docs.microsoft.com, there's a casual mention that if you choose to go with Azure AD P2, the, the better premium license, you also get a free license for Microsoft Identity Manager 2016. And I was, I was a bit unsure if it was left there as, as a sort of an internal joke that whoever still needs this, go ahead. Or is it simply because there's nothing else? So IAM is, is one sort of uh, main, how would you say, a main theme here. The second one, which I feel is, is even more prominent now in 2022 is IGA, Identity Governance and Administration. And I feel this is more of an overall governance solution, and it includes the identity management as well. So massive implementations, if you choose to go with, with an IGA, and often it's, it's now called a cloud IGA. So it's hosted or it's, it's a, it's a cloud-based solution that aims to fix all of your identity and governance issues. And the joiners, movers, levers process is a small part of both of these. More perhaps on the IGA because you need the governance bit as well, not just the provisioning and, and, and deprovisioning as well. 
Have I lost you yet? You have not lost me. Um, because I, I mean, I see the challenges with, you know, and, and the reason why this is a thing, why we have the, the joiner mover levers process or, or JML process. Um, because even as a small company, uh, you know, whether we use Azure AD and some kind of IAM um, or whatever type of access management and, you know, identity solutions we use, we also have the challenges, even as a small company, that someone might leave who has permissions to, to do certain thing or might be an owner of resources that when this individual leaves, nobody is picking that up. You know, there is no, um, nobody's kind of picking up the slack of the permissions that this user or individual or, or account had. Um, so, so we, of course, see things like that as well. And licenses, how do you then redistribute licenses? Do you get them to someone else? Do you kind of give them back to the pool of licenses and, and increment the count there? Or, you know, how does that work? And will you remove the license from all the users, even if you just disable the user accounts? Or... Do you expect that a disabled user account might come back online at some point and then need the licenses? So there's a lot of questions and challenges to be tackled here. Um, and, and, you know, I used to consult for pretty big organizations back in the day. That was not mainly on anything identity related, but I were in a lot of dialogues around that. And those dialogues 10 years ago are very familiar to the same kind of dialogues today because the problem is the same, right? Who has access and who should have access? who no longer should have access, who actually left but kept their licenses, or how can I get more licenses? Or I thought we had 10,000 licenses of this, but apparently we don't have any any to spare. So then you need to figure out where you can pick them from. So I, I think you know, my takeaway from what you just said is that all of those things, all of these challenges are like a small part of this process where the, the JML process can kind of help you. If you have a good process here, then some of these challenges might be a bit easier to tackle. Exactly, exactly. And uh, if, if we start dissecting these three parts of the process, uh, let's begin with joiners first. So that begins with provisioning a new user, somebody joins a company, or you just need a new identity to do something, it could be a service account, it could be a real person, regardless, it's going to be an identity. The obvious way, of course, is, is manually go to Azure portal, click Azure AD, click new user, type in the credentials, create a password, relay that to the user, and, and, and you're all set. And I'm assuming here that we don't have any external identity management solutions in place. Let's try to keep this simple for now. But the next option, and I wonder, Toby, if you've ever used this, this is uh, provisioning a new user through Microsoft Graph API. So essentially calling the one API to rule them all in the cloud and asking to provision a new user, because then you could perhaps have a form or an external system where you type in the metadata for the user, and then perhaps using an Azure function or a logic app to connect with the Graph API with the necessary tokens and permissions and creating the user. Is, is, is this something you've ever needed or is this something you would rather use than go to Azure portal and create a user manually? Uh, I can see the benefit of this in slightly larger organizations than I am part of right now. We are less than 30 individuals that are employed and then we have 
outsourced staffing, but in, in total, we have less than 60 user accounts that we need to kind of maintain as like staff. And, you know, with that amount, and it doesn't change much, uh, you know, we have some, some joiners and some levers on the contractor side, but other than that, it's, uh, you know, fairly static. So there's no need to build a custom solution for that. If someone joins the company, it takes me about five minutes to set everything up you know, plug them into the correct AED group, and then automatically they get all the permissions they need for, you know, the role that they have, and grant them the license, and that's pretty much it. So for me, we don't have that today as a requirement. So I, I haven't used any type of pro programmatic provisioning, if you will, of user accounts. I do use uh, the CLIs, PowerShell, Azure CLI, um, to provision user accounts uh, or more like identities, um, you know, managed identities or service principles that you create that we will then grant access to different things and uh, that you can access using a certificate or client ID in secret in you know, various ways. Uh, so I do that. But for actual users or employees, we haven't done that because we're, we're too small. Uh, it would take longer to figure out how to automate it than to just click the button and get it done. It's, it's the same for us. So I'm associated with a couple of companies and all of the companies are fairly small. So, so when a new employee joins, or if we have a temporary worker joining the company for three months during the summer, it's, it's quite easy to just manually create the account and, and, and put whatever permissions and licenses in. But once you go to larger environments, you, you want to maintain consistency. How did I... Uh, name the um, summer temporary workers again, was it X'd in front of their name or was it this or was it that? Then you'd like to like to automate things. So perhaps having some sort of an interface, an HR system, Microsoft Forms, a Power App application, something in Teams over a chatbot, whatever, but something that captures the information for the new user in a, in a consistent way, also for logging and auditing. And then using Microsoft Graph API would be the ob obvious choice here. And, and lastly, if you have an on-premises Active Directory, then typically you want to create the identity there first, and then use Azure AD Connect to sync that as a new identity in Azure AD. But be before we talk a bit about permissions and, and something else related to joiners, one quick shout out to a third-party solution called Adaxis and I'll put the link in the show notes. That's something that sort of uh, brings another opportunity here. So it's a sort of a workflow engine provisioning and joiners, movers, levers management tool. And I was evaluating that for a couple of projects. Uh, sadly, it requires an on-premises AD. So if you're cloud only, there's less to be done with that. But if you're in a hybrid setup, then Adaxis was fairly affordable and, and it was modern enough to manage anything in the cloud as well. But, but on permissions, uh, do, do, do you maintain permissions manually or, or do you have some sort of a fancy approach to ensure that certain people have the same permissions? So, I mean, I don't know what your definition of a fancy way is, but we use security groups, uh, various AED groups, and we create it this way. And then, you know, those groups have 
So like the identity governance, if you want to call it that, that, that we do, I do that on the groups and ensure that the, the groups have the correct access to the various resources, both inside of Azure, Azure DevOps, or any other resources where we actually sign in with the AED accounts. And then, you know, the, the grunt of the work after that is to ensure that the correct users are in the correct groups, of course, but like the identity governance happened on the AED groups. So, I mean, again, we're a small company. We don't have a lot of these rules going on. Um, so we don't need to request a new group unit or, or something like this. We can administer this fairly easily. So on, on our side, permission management is, you know, delegated through groups. You pop a user into a group and they automatically get access to the things that this group is designed to give you access to or deny access to. Um, you take a user out of that, they lose the access. And it's as simple as that. So the from our end, it's, you know, ensure that the groups contain the correct users. That's kind of the, the challenge, if you want to call it that, that we have, which is not really something we regularly have to review because we're so few people. We almost at all times know who's in what group. So, so we don't have the challenge in, in that sense. Makes, makes sense. And you mentioned the, the dynamic groups, and, and obviously those are ideal for, for allocating licenses and also permissions for users. Uh, perhaps worth keeping in mind that the dynamic groups and the dynamic membership rules, they require an Azure AD P1 license for all users affected by those dynamic groups. So typically all users within an organization. Then there's something that requires the Azure AD P2 license. So the higher tier premium license and that's entitlement management. So you can create access packages that grant access to applications, uh, different teams in Microsoft Teams, different uh, memberships in Azure AD and Microsoft 365 groups and SharePoint Online sites. And this is perhaps slightly out of scope for now for the joiners, but once you go to a more enterprise setup, you might want to look at entitlement management and the access packages because they sort of automate and create a self-service approach for granting those permissions instead of somebody in, in IT fiddling with dynamic groups constantly when people need different permissions. So, so let's move to movers then. How would you say, or, or let's ask it this way, if somebody in your team were to change responsibilities, is it, is it more about fiddling with the, with the dynamic group memberships? Or do you feel there's often more involved beyond just the group-based permissions? Yeah, I mean, it, we have had people change roles internally. It does not always require a heavy permission change. Sometimes it gives you entitlement to more permissions, sometimes less. Uh, if you move from a technical role to marketing, for example, uh, or something like this, then you should no longer probably have access to certain systems, uh, source code, and you know the maybe the Azure cloud should be locked um, from your view, stuff like that. So whenever that happens, we need to do some kind of access review for that individual um, and map that towards the uh, like the Rocky matrix, which we keep for for everyone in our team which is like uh, the responsibilities, accountabilities, uh, consult me about and inform me about, like this matrix you can do where uh, as head of whatever, then your Rocky dictates that you're in charge of these things and you're in accountable for ensuring that these things happen and so on. 
Um, so we usually can go back to that and then we can take a look at, okay, this individual now moved to this role, which means he should be able or she should be able to do these things. And in order to, to do that job, they need this permission set or need access to those systems. And then we have a, a definition of, you know, if you need access to this system, that's the AD group. If you need access to that system, that's the AD group. And at the same time, when we do an access review, we can also see, okay, we added them to everything that they needed now, but we can see now they were added to 11 groups, but they have access to 14 AED groups. So what's the discrepancy here? And then you can remove the things that they no longer need to have access to. For, for instance, if they move, like I said, from a technical role to a marketing role or something else. Um, so, I mean, for us, again, this is a fairly manual process. Um, small companies, we don't want to create solutions just because there is a solution that could be created. Because for us, the problem is not that big. It takes literally five minutes for any one of us to do this kind of access review. And I'd rather spend five minutes doing that and be done uh, on something that happens so seldom than to kind of automate this entire process for something that never almost happens. So then we can just spend this, this time differently. I do know from my consulting days, when I was a consultant, I consulted for some of the, the enterprises uh, in Europe and Scandinavia a lot. And you know, they had some pretty rigorous processes for these things. I'm not sure if they also called it the joiners, movers, and leavers, but also as a consultant, when you came in, you had to go through a, a pretty rigorous process with some of these companies, uh, you know, declaring what kind of access you need and why do you need it. And you were, and, you know, with the, your point of contact in the organization, you had to then file um, a form or submit a form with a request to IT or to whoever was in charge of the permission for this one thing, request it, give a justification, why me, um, you know, um, and why should I have this access and I am an external account and what's the risk. And, you know, the process was a bit more lengthy, of course, the bigger the organization, the heavier and, and more lengthy and more robust and rigid these processes are for good reason. So today where I am, we don't have those challenges. We're such a small company, and, and I understand how small we are compared to the enterprises I used to work with. So for me, this is a non-issue, but I do understand the challenge. I have been part of those processes. I've never been in charge of those processes at these enterprise customers, but I've been part of them, and I understand the challenge. It's not easy. I just hope that all the tools today are more modern than 10 years ago when I went through these things on the other side, and, and I do believe they are. But for, for movers, in this case that we're talking about, people changing rules, someone moving to a different department, moving to a different place in the organization, whatever, yeah, you, you need to stay on top of these things. Otherwise, access reviews will be a nightmare if, if you do them. And if you don't do them, a lot of other things will be a nightmare, right? So there, you know, there's a lot of processes involved here. So that's, that's pretty much my exposure to this. It's we do these things manually. We don't really have that. Um, you know, touch point to automate it. But I think like you just mentioned with entitlement management, you can use that for movers as well when they move to a different role. And I think we talked in an episode about entitled management that we want to do an episode specifically <laughs> on that. So I have my ideas now I want to say, but I will save those for that episode because I think that will be actually a pretty good episode to do. Maybe we can find some guests. So if you are tuning in right now, and you love entitlement management in Azure, you know, reach out on Twitter, 
and we'll set you up as a guest on the show. We can talk about that. But that was my few cents on the movers. I, I truly agree uh, with these insights. And what I sometimes see with large companies that I get exposed to sometimes to, to, to their internal systems is that that the movers is probably the most problematic here. The joiners, relatively easy, because as long as you can create a new account, everything is good. But the movers is challenging because you might have uh, employees saying, hey, I'm moving to this new role. I need the same permission set that Alice over there in accounting has. And you go like, well, I have no idea what permissions Alice has. So, so let me figure it out somehow. And, and this then seems to sort of skew the permission management to mix two things, group memberships and roles. So suddenly you have security groups in Azure AD. And you start treating those as roles, which obviously is not the same thing. Because now you can say whoever is in this group is in that role and should have those permissions. And once you start using this line of thinking for anything outside the cloud, and I'm thinking file shares as a bad example here, or as, as a worse example, let's say it like this, uh, you start granting people individual access permissions based on their group memberships to different file shares. And now they ask, well, I still need more access to this Power BI report because I'm now in accounting. And it's really, really hard to try to figure out what it is if that person is not part of, of, a, of a group or if it's an individual permission granted on a different system. So once again, we need the identity governance bit here. And oftentimes I see that Azure AD is not optimal for this unless you embrace uh, the whole entitlement management and everything else. But it might be too late because those are relatively new features and the problems we've had for 20, 30 years already. The last bit is levers. So somebody chooses to retire or leave the company. Um, so, so the, the, the tough choice here is, do you disable or do you delete the user account? What's your take on this? Do you rather disable the person in case the person wants to rejoin the company or you want to somehow maintain something or do you just delete it and say, yeah, good riddance, that person is gone and let's, let's just get rid of all the content as well. Yeah. So, oh, you want to leave the company? Yeah. Well, don't count on coming back. <laughs> no. So, I mean, here, again, it depends on your the size of your organization and, and what kind of access the user has and, and things like that. So, uh, what we do is we disable the user accounts, and then we can put a reminder or a flag saying, you know, we have a deletion retention of maybe half a year or maybe two years, depending on what kind of user it is. And if, you know, if it's an external or a consultant that we might work with again in the future, we never delete it, we disable it. And we know that if we need help specifically with these things in the future, then everything is already figured out. And it's the same individual, same company, same everything. We can just enable the account and say, can you come help us again? And that's it. But for, you know, internal staff leaving, same thing. We disable user accounts and then we can flag them for retention saying, well, this type of user 
um, with you know a lot of permissions in the organization because this individual perhaps um, you know were part of of massive processes or you know a lot of things in in a lot of places. Then maybe it's a lot easier to just disable the user account in case you need to bring this person in for whatever it is. Uh, otherwise, if you delete it, all the permissions are going away. And then at some point you figure out, oh, we need to bring this individual back in. If you then need to grant them per permissions to all the systems and, and whatever access points that this individual and this user can had access to, that might be pretty tricky to do. Uh, so I don't think there's a golden answer here saying you should do this way or that way. But I do think both in larger organizations and small that it's a good practice to have like identity governance in place in the sense that you have a delete retention on them. So you first... When someone leaves the company, you disable that user account and you flag them as they left the company on this date. And then after X amount of days, weeks, months, years, whatever you define in your organizational policies, um, and also depending on your regulatory requirements, of course, uh, then you, um, after this period of time, can go back and revise and say, will we ever need this user account? Yes, no. If no, actually delete it, purge it, everything is gone. If you are not sure, then you flag another retention period and say, keep it for another six months, remind me again then, and then you can you know, take the, the same kind of dialogue again. So I, I think there's no clear answer to that, both for the enterprises I've worked with, but also for the small companies that I work with now. But a good practice that I learned already 15 years ago and that people still do today seems to be disable the user accounts, have a retention period, and whenever you are confident you don't need it. You can wipe the actual account. And then worst case, you can just recreate an account with the same name or with a different name if an individual comes back to the company, right? But of course, you usually want to have the same kind of identity and the same email and whatever if someone comes back. So, so that's how I see it. But I cannot speak for the enterprise organizations and how they do today because the last time I was touching any identity-related stuff with these enterprises, it's pretty much 10 years ago now. So things might have changed quite a bit. So, so nowadays for enterprises, it's, it's more close to what you described here. Disable have some sort of retention period and some sort of monitoring or, or a backup plan to get back on track if the person comes back and we need to resurrect the account. Some years ago, I was auditing uh, an identity system and, and, and I, I couldn't find any disabled accounts in there. So I, I casually asked during one of the review meetings, so, so what happens if somebody leaves the company? Oh, we delete the account immediately. I'm like, well, yeah, but maybe, maybe you should, you know, disable it. <laughs> no, 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 we can't because we are paying per user objects in AD to an external hosting company. So we save a lot of money by just deleting, wow. <laughs> deleting the accounts. I'm like, <laughs> all righty then. So, so there might be these sort of external reasons why you would delete accounts immediately. But typically you, you disable that. And I've also seen companies where they disable the account, but if, if a person rejoins the company, they actually get a new account because the role might be different. So, so they will freeze the old account. They will give you a new account with a slightly different email address, perhaps. And then you start using that. You, you sort of have a new identity and the old identity is frozen. And then for levers, the last bit in Azure AD is access reviews. Also requiring Azure AD P2 license. But this allows you to do 
automated reviews, sending out an, an email to a bunch of people who are members of, of, of defined groups, asking them, do you still need access on this group or this system? And if you do not get a reply, you can do a, a default action. If you do get a reply, you can ask for a justification why they would still need to continue to have access to this one. This is especially good for guest accounts and whatnot. Alrighty, so joiners, movers, levers, and, and more on the focus of, of Azure AD. So in essence, to, to sort, of, sort of summarize this, you can do everything manually. You can utilize the built-in capabilities, but you fairly quickly have to go to the, the more premium features like dynamic groups, entitlement management, and access reviews. You could also build something based on an external system. And for this, there's something called the SCIM, System for Cross-Domain Identity Management Approach. So you often have an external HR system that, that aims to provision something, and you simply use Azure AD as the destination for provisioning. Or you could script and automate whatever you like with logic apps and functions and Azure automation and, and, and so on. And lastly, you could invest in a, in a third-party IGA system. So there's plenty to choose from. But those are often quite massive in the sense. So everything we discussed today are something that fit smaller companies, mid-sized companies. For enterprises, you typically want to go with the HR system and the identity governance and administration. All righty. I think we've sort of sort of exhausted everything on the process. In a future episode, I, I do have the idea we would we would dive a bit deeper into the enterprise angle, especially on the external systems. But the last bit we have is the unexpected question. And Toby, this week it's your turn to ask me. All right. So my question, perhaps after you work too much with identities in Azure. Um, if you were wrongfully put into an insane asylum, how would you convince them that you're actually sane and not just pretending to be sane? Wow, this is this is a tough one. <laughs> I've I've never even visited an insane asylum, but this is bringing me this not yet at least. This is bringing me these mental flashbacks. There's there's this series on Netflix. It's a German series. I think it's called dark and and it's it 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 works on 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 this multiple possible timelines super messy after two episodes and there's this one person who gets put into an insane asylum and 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 he's not insane so i'm thinking about what what he did and, and he wasn't successful i think um depends if if they give you good food and netflix and a place to do sports it, it wouldn't be too bad, though. Uh, perhaps I would just carry on being as normal as I can and, and hope that my normal <laughs> is, is the industry standard normal and they would immediately spot me, hey, this guy shouldn't be here. He should be enjoying his life outside and doing podcasts and stuff. You know, that, that's what I think is the problem here because as soon as you try to be normal, whatever normal is, as soon as you try 
to be your normal self, it's going to become awkward and they're going to see, oh, there's something off with this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's put he, him in the cell B over there. <laughs> yeah, he looks suspicious somehow. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something suspicious <laughs> about that guy. Yeah, that that yeah, could that. be my fate. Alrighty. Uh, thank, thank you again, everyone, for joining us. And, and we hope you join us next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.